Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. What's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners? So glad you're here. Today, we've got Andrew Gray on our program. He is a partner and chief technology officer of an agency called Taylor Gray. Andrew is a skilled programmer, technologist, and serial entrepreneur, and he's been building web applications and dynamic websites for two decades. And he's got a their agency is super successful. They've got some pretty big name clients and uh, a pretty uh, decent sized team, and uh, a lot of things going on that we're looking forward to diving deeper with him on our program. Welcome to the program, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Can you give us the quick? 30-second rundown of kind of who you are and what your background is. So my name's Andrew Gray. Uh, um, my agency is called Taylor Gray. We are a we have two owner partners, um, about 24 employees. We're based in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, we are seven years old. We do about a third branding and strategy for mostly business-to-business firms. We do about a third e-commerce um, for clients that make and sell their own products primarily. Um, this would be manufacturers, designers of outdoor equipment and other things like that. And then about a third is sort of custom software, some for the enterprise, some for um, internal working software that runs uh, businesses for people. So, And then we have some other you know, small businesses like attorneys and law firms and, and uh, realtors and stuff like that that kind of fills in from friends that, we, that we've done work for over the years. But and then we have a, a third thing, which is an internal startup called payforart.com, which is like a buying platform for buying art in coffee shops. Um, what is it called? Payforart.com? Yeah, payforart.com is the name of it. And um, it's just a startup that we just started about a month ago. And it's like an internal startup that we're building for ourselves versus doing work for other people. So I hear agencies doing that. And we did that as an agency a lot where we needed to use our skills for our own thing. What's what's the why behind that? Is that for fun or is it uh, a uh, positive distraction or what's, what's the need for doing something internal that's uh, for yourself? Well, so I think there's two things. One, it's an idea that everyone kept telling me was a good idea, right? So the buying process for art, in coffee shops and non-traditional galleries is really broken. It's hard to buy the art. It's hard to find out. It's hard to, hard to transfer the money to the artist. There's just a lot wrong with it. And so artists and friends of mine have told me that it's a it's a good idea. So I thought, okay, let's let's put a business model together around this. And we did some due diligence. And you know, if we can get enough people transacting on our platform and we can keep our acquisition costs lower, we could have a legitimate reoccurring revenue. So that's sort of the two part. That's the first part, which is like, I think there's actually a business model there. The second part is, is it's really just to, to have an opportunity to work on something where we're the deciders versus kind of taking other people's ideas, which are generally good ideas, but sometimes they're not good ideas um, and building them, you know, and, and doing, doing their 
their approach to it. So a great, and we've been able to learn some interesting things that I don't think we would have learned um, if clients hadn't, you know, that I can use for clients now. Like, so I, I have a lot of expertise in like marketplace tools and fund transferring now that I don't know if I necessarily would have had before um, and did a lot of research on on-demand printing because that's something we may support in the future. So there's some opportunities for us to build technology and learn things without doing it for the first time for a client. So I think that's the second part, which is um, uh, why we're doing it. So, But the balance, of course, is we still need to do billable work each month and each week. So we're kind of, you know, we, we joke we do one-third, one-third, one-third of our, and then the th- the fourth third is pay for art. So guys work on it on the weekends, <laughs> and, you know, like they'll work on it this Friday. Cause we, you know, we take the day off on this Friday. And, um, so for, for the holiday. And so the guys are going to work on and knock out some features, you know, at, at home, that, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of the, the, the emphasis behind it. Cool. Why'd you like, why did you get in this business? What was your, your first intuition that you might be an entrepreneur might want to not have a job or work for somebody else? Well, so I mean, a long, long time ago, I grew up on a private school campus and I was hired to be a graphic designer for the alumni department making, um, the picture book for an upcoming, um, an upcoming event. And this was like a black and white Canon analog digital camera page maker. I mean, it was, this is a lot, I don't know what year it was, but I was young. It was a long, long time ago. And I just immediately discovered that you can make money using computers. So I grew up around computers. I had a startup in college that managed real estate data that was partially funded and lasted about three years. I've done consulting work. Like, so I've really never had any other options other than sort of to be an agency or a owner. And I, I think partially my best skill is sort of arbitraging other people's labor between, um, people who want stuff and labor. So I have a lot of, I think I have some solid technical skills on my own, but at this point I'm mostly, you know, are more involved in sort of leadership of the agency and business development and kind of like motivating the staff versus actually sitting down and cranking out code. Um, or things like that. I do a fair amount of like odd tech support when no one else can figure something out, um, which is something I still enjoy, like actually getting my hands into a server and messing around. So that's kind of my how I got into it. I, I was sort of joking with a friend of mine who owns a completely different type of company the other day, and somebody wants to buy his 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 um, insurance agency. It's a wholesale insurance agency. And he's like, I don't know if I could actually go work for somebody. Like, I don't know if I can do that. It's been so long since I've actually like had a job that I've had to report to somebody else. And I think that's what just keeps us motivated is like, I love this lifestyle. I love everything about, you know, building a company and having staff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sort of both stuck in it. And I don't know if I could actually <laughs> do, do any, I don't know if I could do anything else at this point because, you know, I don't know what exactly my skill set is. Like it's sort of, <laughs> it's like, I think that's, that's pretty common with yeah. uh, entrepreneurs and agency owners. Uh, I hear that all the time. People say, well, I'm unhirable. And, and I've said that many times that nobody would want me to work for them. And, but at the same time, I think being an entrepreneur, sometimes there's, there is a trade-off that on, in the open labor market, you could probably maybe earn more today working for somebody else uh, in certain situations, or some people could, than taking all the risk and the stress and the frustration of 
24 employees, which I'm sure comes with its own baggage of having 24 people depend on you and your partner for their income and their, their lifestyle. Yeah. And so, you know, we started the agency as a, as a hundred percent outsource, right? And it was me and Nathan and we kind of decided we got together. We were in this little, um, office above a cupcake bakery in, in downtown Wilmington, um, where we are. And, you know, it was all subcontracting. And so we would get a job and we'd farm it out to everybody. But, and over the years, we've really gone to where almost everybody is a full-time employee. I mean, we have some people who are technically 1099s, but really rely on us for almost a hundred percent of their income. So when I say 24 employees, I mean, some of those people are full-time subs who are properly, you know, uh, billing us and invoicing us so that we, you know, are following all the rules, but they really are, they don't have any other source of income. So I'm really, they really are equally as dependent as a, as a W2 employee. And so growing the business to that, to that point where there's a lot of employees, it really changes how you have to spend your, your time. Like you have to think two or three months out, you have to think what's in the pipeline. You know, you can't just sort of take time off because, um, from sales. And I think one of the things that we learned what, uh, last year is we tried to hire an internal full-time salesperson and it just really kind of didn't work out for a bunch of reasons. So, cause we lost the ability to, to keep our pipeline full. You know, I've, I've published a lot of stuff for our community around hiring full-time salespeople and some of the pitfalls, but what, what was a pitfall there for you? Why, why do you think that didn't work? Was it just simply not the right person? Is it just too hard to sell like the founder? What, what do you think was the issue with that person not succeeding? Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. I mean, one, you know, the market that I am in is a small beach town. You know, I mean, it's not small, but I mean, you know, 180,000 people. There's a lot of retirees here. There's some big businesses, but it's not like I'm in a, a major metro where there's just like startups everywhere and big businesses and RFPs flying all over the place. I mean, you really need to be very spear fishing like to go get business. Like you have to listen at uh, uh, events. You have to when you hear something, you have to go after it. You have to build long term relationships. So I think part of it was our market and just basically not being a great fit for networking and marketing in this small town. I think if maybe we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, or Raleigh, North Carolina, or Charleston or somewhere, you know, that's close, but bigger, he might've been more successful. And then I second, a second thing I think certainly is like there, I think there's something when you've done this long, he, you know, he didn't come from full digital. He came from advertising, but not from digital. And I think there's something about the ability to quickly identify whether a person's a good fit or not good fit and quickly talk to them about how the scope and the, the price um, cause not everything's driven by price, but a lot of it is really like, you know, one of the things we always try and sell things at a price that the person can authorize or afford, right? You don't want to sell a, a mom and pop ice cream store, you know, a, a $40,000 e-commerce store. Like it does, it, you know, they'll never, it's, it's not a good idea. So, you know, being able to identify and align the needs of the client with their ability, whether or not they're a good fit was something I just don't know if in a year he was able to get to get that. And so when we lost our third partner who decided he wanted to be bought out and move on, you know, there was about a year gap where Nate and I were like, okay, we need a new person to do this. And we found someone. So we had had an internal business development person who was a partner 
um, who was pretty successful, brought in some very nice projects. And, you know, so we were trying to replicate that. And I think that was part of our, of what, why it didn't necessarily work. I find that, you know, it's, it's interesting because sometimes you have like an initiative like that, where you say we need a salesperson and that's going to be the next thing that grows our company and trying to evaluate whether the overall idea of the seat was right versus maybe the person was bad. Are, are you guys going back and are you going to try your hand at that again with the same overall position, but just a different person that maybe is more networked or has a more established uh, experience and pedigree in the space that you guys are selling with software development, branding, and uh, and e-commerce? Um, well, I think what we're really going to do is we've put a lot more emphasis on proposal development on the account managers. So we have four account managers. They basically are assigned the proposal development if it if it needs to be done. And I'll talk a little bit about our selling strategy in a minute, which is to not build huge proposals anymore, um, is to sell um, something smaller to get started. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But the so really what we're doing is Nathan and I are focusing on lead generation. Um, we're, we are the ones who bring in the leads and you know use our talents in that area the account managers are the ones who val- who sort of set final pricing um so they're sort of torn away from their day-to-day stuff but if they they are able to sort of work with the internal team to make sure that the x number of hours that i think it's going to take is you know that i've sort of gut checked with the client or however we're going to do it works and then we've really focused on trying to land larger clients that have longer longer term needs and being less sort of one and done project base. And, and so that's really, I think the biggest change, I mean, it, it puts your eggs, you know, so we've had, we've had a variety of big clients that used all of our time. We used to have one client that took up all of our time, which is a national power company. Um, and then they got acquired by another company and then, you know, that sort of dwindled down, but they're still around, but they're not like doing, we're not working pri- 50, 60% of our day for them anymore, like we were for about two years. Um, but so we've tried and find these nice sized companies that need a lot of stuff and become sort of in, integrated into their marketing department. Um, and so there's a con- consistent book of work. Um, the Like the clients are very honest about what the budgets look like. And so we can plan around that. We're not sort of, we, we, we create more of a partnership. There's less brinksmanship when it comes to like, what will this cost? What will this cost? And you kind of know that they build, they go through a cycle where they need a lot, then maybe they don't need as much, but they're still there uh, and sort of building it that way. And I think um, that's really been our strategy is to kind of not focus on growing too quickly with the number of clients, but getting clients that we can grow together and that need long-term engagements. Although we can't seem to get people to sign contracts for long-term engagements. Um, you know, that's still a real challenge. We've been unsuccessful to get anybody to sign like a year long contract. And most people are still really operating month to month, but you, they, they at least have a lot of, we kind of build trust in the budgeting. So kind of going back to the client that's taken up 50 to 60% of your time, which obviously that seems like it's kind of more in the rear view mirror for you now. That's a story I hear all the time. The, the big fish that is a hundred percent or 70% of uh, an agency's mind share. And I know everybody in that situation when they sometimes go to sleep at night are thinking to themselves, if that ever goes away, I might be screwed. <laughs> Did you guys identify that as a threat 
ahead of time before some change happened? And how did, I mean, if you, if I lost 50% of my revenue overnight or even over a course of three to six months, like that would be a devastating or a challenge that you may or may not come out of. Did you guys prepare for that at all? So we've actually had this happen twice, right? The first time is when we were much smaller we landed a enormous blog, right? They get 20 million page views a month. Um, now they were getting a lot then. And we've actually, we lost them and then got them back three years later, which was kind of crazy. But when we lost them the first time and they went off to a great national agency, they just weren't getting the, they weren't getting the, um, the love that they wanted. So they came back to us and it was, that was actually kind of a real breakup. It was like people were yelling at each other. We were like, we couldn't take it anymore. And we were both. And so that was an interesting one. That was a huge blow to our revenue. Luckily we were much more, um, subcontractor based then. And so it really didn't, it didn't put us out of business. And, and we had been building up all of these other blogs in the same space. And so because our name was at the bottom of their big blog and, and that whole industry around coop is in the coupon space all kind of was changing and it was there was a lot of chaos and froth so we immediately said you know what we need to get out of this blogging business and let's go to more traditional stuff and like let's reach out to more agencies and you know do more subcontracting for other people and you know kind of did that and, and so that was but the company was much smaller then and so that was a we got through that one um and that was sort of a little tra- traumatic, but it was also kind of good. I mean, we all, I think, didn't want to work with each other anymore. And so that was that was good. But for the second one, it was so slow moving that we literally knew there was regulatory issues in the, in mid, the Midwest around um, the specific type of power generation that this client does. That was then litigated. It was like they're like, if it's litigated, we will be we will sell this unit that you're connected with. It was like a you know we were part of a giant bunch of other business that the company had, and then that was months down the road. And then they're like, oh, the new people need you to do all this rebranding. And then okay, that works coming. I mean, it was it was like a battleship. I mean, we had over a year and a half to get our, our acting gear and we knew it was coming. So it was, we were very lucky. And the thing that's interesting is, you know, we still work with that client under their new owner and our direct representative. I mean, our marketing manager that we work for continuously goes to bat to bring us into projects, but the new owners just are not as aggressive. And, you know, there's an, they had an agency, so we had to compete with that other agency and we were able to keep like, you know, so there's a lot of consolidation. So like websites went away and systems went away, but we can, we maintain some of the, the systems that, that they use. And so we continue to do that. There's just not like, you know, five designers working 10 hours a day, five days a week, you know, cranking out all types of things. And that we were building a lot of ideas that would get scrapped. There was a lot of prototyping, um, you know, there was a lot of media buying. There was just a lot of stuff going on, whereas the new people are much more um, – they're much more conservative. I think that's the best way to put it. And there's other agencies involved. So that you know, that wasn't as traumatic. Yeah, no, it was not overnight by any stretch of the imagination. We had a long time to sort of you know, see it coming. Um, we are now in a position now where if we lost one of our bigger – you know, our newer, bigger customers, it would be annoying – but it wouldn't be traumatic. And so I think um, really the, the issue we're really working with right now is just trying to speed up our payments 
um, just getting paid faster, even for people that owe us regular, like that are paying every month. It's just trying to get that cash in the door, you know, maybe doing some prepayments and, and things like that just around cash management so we can build a little bit of stability and not have to lean on credit lines as much. You know, so that's, that's really, it's more of like a, that's the big change in sort of our financial situation now is we're trying to just, you know, get our cash flows numbers just a little bit better. So what are some things that you are doing to solve that problem? I mean, you mentioned prepayments is one thing to try to get the cash sooner or when the project starts or before the project starts, anything else you guys are doing there? Um, yeah, so we're doing block, we're doing some block hour stuff where people are buying blocks of hours at a slight discount. Um, that's worked with some of our agile software projects where, you know, they don't know exactly what they want, but their their users have a whole bunch of feedback and they want to, you know, so we ball up all the feedback and, you know, they buy a block of hours and then we eat, we go down that and then they go back to budgeting and they say, okay, we'll do another block of hours. Um, there's prepayments. Obviously, that's one that we're working on. And also just having like candid conversations with some of our our clients and just saying, hey, you know. Um, like when the big client, when we moved from one to another, they went from net 15, which was awesome. Um, we were getting checks from them twice a month to net 90 and we were <laughs> like, guys, we just, you know, it's like, can, is there anything we can do about this? And yeah. they were like, oh yeah, yeah. We'll talk to somebody. It's no big deal. Yeah. And like, we'll, we'll get you to net 30. And we're like, oh, that, you know, it's just having like a candid conversation because I think a lot, as you work with bigger and bigger customers, like their CFO is used to dealing with customers probably bigger, like people bigger than that. Their customers are paying them slowly a lot of times. And so they're like, oh yeah, you know, we're doing 90 to 120 right now and it net 90 days to net 120 days. And you're like, dude, I can't operate that way just because we, we need money to run our business. You know what I mean? And it's like, I think that's the big challenge with the agency business that I, I identified and why we're trying to build some products um, the pay for our thing. We have another display product that we sell to um, hospitality. That's a monthly reoccurring is, and we do hosting, which is a monthly reoccurring. It's like trying to create more things um, that are reoccurring that you don't actually have to do um, labor for to get paid for. So that helps sort of round off that a little bit. And maybe you could take a week off once and go on a company trip or something, and you know, and, and not have to see an immediate sort of dip in in the um, cash flow. So that's kind of our goal um, is to really, you know, now that we've got the business and the marketing and all of our sort of internal st- processes really stabilized, is just to make the, to, to make the overall um, long-term viability of the company um, a lot better. And, and we don't really have any like short-term problems, but it's just more of like, what can you do to make it so you never have that sleepless night where you're like, oh, you know, if this person would just go ahead and, you know, we're, you know, we got all these expenses and sure 24 people is uh yeah you know your payroll is probably interesting (laughs) it's interesting you know what i mean um you know as you you have all you have people who have all types of issues we've had i mean we've had employees that have had to go on long-term disability because of um just issues that we've had uh you know we have we try to support people in their maternity um as much as possible with paid maternity leave um you know we're we're sort of trying to figure out what we want to do about health insurance. That whole thing is just really, you know, becoming, you know, 401k matches and just, you know, all of these sort of things that really, like, really sexy topics, just like, yeah, there's sexy topics. Let's but, you spend know, hours talking about HR you know, but we're competing, yeah. you know, we're competing with people working from home for, yeah. for bigger companies. We're competing with these couple of startups in our town that like 
have free lunch and dog parks and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, it's so one of the things we've done is try to make a great office and try to be really nice to people and, you know, be flexible and let them, you know, do what you want. But when you have 24 people, um, well, I'm one of the 24, so I'm, you know, that, that's included Nathan and I's we take salaries as well, you know, so it's just, it, it becomes, you're, you're no longer doing what your day to day, what you enjoy doing, which is like connecting with customers and doing all that kind of stuff. You're, you're, you know, trying to figure out HR issues and all that other stuff. So, but I'm really lucky in that Nathan, my business partner is the one, he's the COO. He, he's the one who tracks down where $25 Amex, uh, charge shows up, you know, like he's like, what customer are we going to build this? hosting to or whatever. And he's really keeps us financially, you know, on the rails and, and, and is looking out long, uh, doing all the planning. So I get to be the more creative one who, um, you know, it, it just basically doesn't have to worry as much cause I've got a great business partner. So that's cool. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you guys are kind of split between branding, e-commerce and custom software development. And I'm curious because I know a lot of people struggle with finding focus in their business or choosing what to do or probably more so choosing what not to do. Uh, Why those three services? Why not just be a branding company? Why not just be a custom dev shop? Why not just be an e-commerce shop? I think part of it is the labor that we've been able to get. That's really, I think, honestly, part of it is like, uh, you know, the peop- we have great programmers, we have great branding people. One of the things that's interesting about our town is a lot of people move here from big major metros who worked at major agencies, right? And they move here either because their spouse moved here or because they want to live here. I mean, we started doing more branding and really building a branding process and a brand and book a branding business after we hired an awesome account manager who had who came from pharma. And she built us a, 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 what we call the brand blueprint. It's a brand strategy that we sell at a fixed price to start most of our engagements, right? So it's like uh, this is something that's really started to change our our sales process. But what we do is we we get together and we come up with a fixed price for a tactical plan and an, a, a sort of some business school 101 stuff. Um, SWOT analysis and um, customer journeys and all these things that the customer needs. Uh, and we put that all together in a big plan and we build them a bit, a good, better, best, you know, really data driven plan for what they can do. So then all those tactics, you know, so part of it might be rebranding, part of it might be email or strategy or whatever. And then out of those things come all these tactics like custom software and e-commerce and things like that. And so really it's, it's our attempt to make sure that we get we, we're able to have a full life cycle with the client and not be like, oh, we'll just do your branding and your emails or, oh, we just do social, right? We're just a social agency. Now, I found this when we didn't, you know, when we would let someone else come in to do SEO for a customer, right? The SEO people blame the website, right? Is a perfect example. And it's like, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, they, and they get in, they get in there and they say, oh, you know, we got to redo the website. I can't be successful with SEO because the website's not working. And you're like, you get into these nerd fights with other vendors about landing <laughs> pages and like, it's just, it doesn't service anybody. And so for us, you know, I think, you know, not every customer needs e-commerce and not every customer needs custom software and not every customer needs branding, but we like to sort of you know, I think they all should use all of those things. So it's kind of like uh, if we can grow their business and identify their pain points, they can move into those those buckets, right? So I think that's why we're sort of full service. I mean, we have our own video person that's in our office. 
Um, we have our own, actually, we have a studio of like a video studio that we built in the building, um, like with a psych, I think it's called cyclonic wall, the white wall that, you know, goes off into space. We rent that out sometimes and we use it for ourselves. So we try not to outsource things because then we get control over the whole, um, experience. I mean, um, so that's kind of why we we do that. I, I mean, I think we could be more focused, but I think I like the full service stuff and it's, it, it keeps, it keeps it more interesting. And I think we do a better job for our customers when we own the whole, whole process. And obviously is that that's part of your value prop with them as part of the conversation with them and a reason that companies go with you versus others. I mean, are you guys really pushing that heavily in, in the sales process about the fact that it's, you know, most of what you do is in house. It's, they can see the people moving around. They can see the studio. They can see all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that I think for our customers, I mean, obviously the work stands for itself. I mean, if you're not doing, you know, if you're not making good video, they're going to be like, stop doing the video. Um, or if you're not doing good paid search, or you're not doing good social, or whatever you're doing, you can't continue to pawn off like sub quality work if you're doing it internal just because you're doing it internally. So I think we really have. You know, like a great example is we don't really do PR, right? Like PR is one of those things I we always outsource, like true, real, big deal PR. We're like, go get somebody to do that. You know, like somebody's doing media placements and camera remotes and all that kind of stuff. If I could find someone who wanted to join our agency or we could, mer- you know, we could buy a PR firm that had a book of business, you know, maybe we would do that. But like, there are some things that we just don't do. P- uh, we don't do computer fixing is another thing, obviously, but that's not really an agency. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, I don't know how to use Windows 10, man. I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> while while I, you guys I, are in there giving me a new <laughs> brand identity, uh, I've got some Office 365 questions that I'd love to have yeah. answered. Well, I mean, one of the best things we ever did was to stop providing email. Yeah. Like, I think everybody of, kind of goes through that. You know what I mean? And you're just like, because my joke was is that you never get a phone call that's like, hey, my email has been working great. For four months, thank you so much. It's always like I can't send to this person, you know. And 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 and, and my current battle is just like contact forms on websites. When you have so many customers, there's something with a web form like once a week is just something stupid going on. Either it's going to spam or it's bouncing or not delivering. You, you know, you you do have to do some IT, but like the actual desktop fixing of things is is certainly out of realm. But um, yeah, I, I, think, I remember I think, when we we used to you know, really, we had like our own exchange server that clients could pay us for. And that hard drive failed. And that was the worst 72 hours that I ever had as a as a person in the business of trying to get probably 50 companies email back from the dead. Uh, and that was a realization that we probably shouldn't be in that we shouldn't be offering that service even like not everything you can make money on you should do right or that you see in plain sight of oh I you know companies need email I should provide that as a service to them because they will pay me $50 a month and ooh, recurring sounds great and and then you know something like that that's not your superpower fails and it's it's can can sink you. Yeah, well, and it, it, I've had enough of that in my life. Like, I, I, you know, I'm, I joke that I like, you know, for our clients that really need 24-7 monitoring of the site, they need to pay someone else, like Rackspace, to do 24-7 monitoring. Like, I'll get the notifications for, for our sites that aren't, don't have 24-7 engineering. You know, I'll get a notification, but if it happens at 6.30 or 4.30 in the morning, I'm not going to see it till 6.30 in the morning. I'll get up and fix it if something happened. But like if you need 24 hours a day up uptime and you want instant 
you know, you want an engineer to look at the site instantly, like you need to pay a third party for that monitoring because I'm not in the business to provide that. Right. And, and the thing with email that just to, to that point is, you know, it's so easy to set up a Plesk server. I mean, you can go get a Plesk server and put a thousand million email addresses on it. Right. And then, and like for nothing. And so you provided like unlimited email for everyone who had a $10 a month hosting account. With you. <laughs> and, and then they're like, what do you mean? I've got to move to hosted exchange at $10 a user or $7 a user or, you know, whatever. And you're like, I hate to do this to you, but like, I just, we're not doing it anymore. And it's like that whole, I mean, I literally fixed a, this is just sort of an aside, but the first website that I ever fit, I ever really built for somebody for money, um, like for a client was, um, a hypnotherapy site built on geek log, which is a defunct CMS. I mean, the first website I ever built with a CMS that, um, was geek log. And it was just absolutely inundated with malware the other day. I mean, this site has got to be 15 years old. <laughs> and the lady, I mean, she's so old. I mean, she's been, she's, I've known her for so long and she's just so unsure of what to do. And I said, hey, I'm just going to have to turn this in. It's four pages. I'm going to have to turn this into static HTML. You can no longer add links to the links page. And she was like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. I was like, I just, I'm sorry. I just got to tell you, like, I can't, I can't fix geek log. Like, I don't know what's wrong with it. Like, I mean, I could in theory, but like, it just is not something that can be supported anymore. And she's like, okay, I'll just, yeah. I, 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 and, and I was like, you know, I may, maybe I charge her $10 a year or something. I mean, it's like, <laughs> the, you know, it's just, you know, and so you, it's, when you've been doing this as long, I mean, so I, the agency, maybe, maybe, maybe it's time to let that customer go, Adrian. No, I can't, I can't <laughs> let anyone go. I can't, she's, I mean, she has nowhere to go, right? You know, she's like, she's like, what do I do? I was like, I'll fix it. Oh, and yeah. she's like, if you need any links added, just email me and I'll do it for you. You know, letting a customer go if it's only if they're jerks, really, like if they're just, if they don't, if they're not appreciative and then it's time to be like, Hey, it's time for you to go. But that's tend to be the case for us. So, yeah, I mean, I've let, I think I, I, I'm maybe I'm a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, if, if it's not what we're doing anymore, then it's time to, to part ways. Right. It's, it's, it's even if they're really, really nice, probably even more so if they're nice because they need to go find, the right, the right home. But so, so you've got, you know, obviously a, a thriving agency business. You are also experimenting with products. Fast forward me like 10 years. Are, are you guys still doing the same thing or are you a product company and have, you know, a suite of other revenue generating activities that are not a service business agency focused model? So I think, I mean, 10 years from now, my goal is to have my then 14 year old son interning, right? So that's sort of what my number one goal is, is to build a, a business that sustains 10 years, right? Um, I think that the products companies, my idea has always been to spin those out if they actually turn into something, mm. yeah, right? So it would be like, if pay for art, you know, is working, if it's been, or if it's still around in 10 years, and it's not just like sort of limping along, I will hopefully have it being, like there will be a president and a development team and, you know, they might be in a different building and, you know, we own it, but we're not working on it day to day. And that's sort of the, that's the, the sort of the plan of attack. Our, our display technology, it's a brand, it's a co-branded TV monitor display for, for waiting rooms and, and things like that for hospitality. And we just kind of went up, we built it for one client and then try, and, you know, we're kind of reselling it. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. So I don't know if there's really 
um, you know, we have some good clients that use it, but it just doesn't sell well. And there's a lot of people in that space and the ones that, you know, that, so it's sort of like, I don't know if the products company is going to be sort of, if anything's ever going to spin out, but I'm going to keep going for it. I mean, I, I, I like solving problems. It keeps me happy to, you know, I have a new idea for something to help make web forms more reliable, actually, like contact forms. Like, uh, you know, like we were talking about this morning, we'll build that if we get some traction. I kind of feel like it allows you to be an entrepreneur and still have that sort of drive and and keep the staff happy. So I think in overall, it's a good thing, but I don't really know. I mean, um, 10 years is a long time in this business. (laughs) It is. Maybe, maybe you'll be programming, uh, uh, toasters to sell. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, and, and it's like, I don't know. It's like, so every day there's a new Wix and every day there's a new Shopify and there's a new like do it yourself platform. And every day I think more and more people are like, I don't want to do this myself. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that goes in cycles. I mean, so last night I, I was, I, like I, I said, I had a little class on e-commerce for small businesses that I was teaching. And, you know, some of those people really need to be on Shopify. You know, I mean, they, they need to, they need to go, they need to do it themselves. There's no way they can pay agency rates. But what I always hope is that they grow the business, they start themselves. And then one day they realize they're like, you know, there are more important things for me to be doing than monkeying around, configuring, you know, I'm, I need to be out there making deals and, and finding wholesalers and, you know, doing all, doing all these things. And so I'm really pro like the tools, um, cause ultimately we sell consulting and knowledge, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of times I feel like my number one skill is I can, I'm better at Googling the answer than you are. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think with, with <laughs> you know, most entrepreneurs, most business owners in their life cycle of their business, they might be involved in creating three websites or five website projects or something like that. And that might be over a 25 year period of time or something. So I feel like the agency model of, you know, you guys are cranking out work 24 seven. I mean, every day you've got 24 people that are building stuff. And I think with that comes expertise, comes speed, becomes scale. I mean, I can go to an agency and I can hire you guys and I can get a dozen different skills for one rate versus me going and, you know, as, as a company, a small company or medium sized company, or even some of those big guys you worked with me going and hiring 12 people. I mean, that's just sounds really painful. I can start the project, start the work, get the thing going, see if it gains traction with an agency. And if it turns into something, I think a lot of the, the same mindset you have for your product, I think a lot of companies or, you know, even e-commerce for you guys, if, if you create a store, and it takes off. I mean, maybe at one point you'll bring all of that in house because it makes more sense for you to do that. Um, but I feel like agencies fill that gap of people that aren't ready to hire twelve people to run their store. Or yeah, exactly. I mean, I think one of the like one of the really interesting things too is, I mean, the, about how this business sort of evolves is like we had a big client. They started as a small client. When we started with them, they had they had sixteen employees. Uh, they went public recently. I mean, they had in you know, at one point they were, we were doing a lot of the tons and tons of work for them. And over the, you know, then they hired a new marketing manager and the marketing manager hired a new, like then one day we weren't doing SEO for them anymore. Then another day we weren't doing PVC. Then another day we weren't doing print. And, you know, then we weren't, weren't taking their headshots anymore. And like, you know, over, you know, you could see it coming, right? You're like, they're hiring internally. They, I mean, they must have 50 marketers now in their business. I mean, they they went public, they're, they're huge, you know, but a bunch of people left that business and went to another comp- a company that's similar and they called us up and said, Hey, would you like to get the, 
the team, the gang back together again. <laughs> that's you know, always, that, that's, that's it, the best. And you're like, call. yeah, of course. I mean, sure. uh, and so it's sort of like, everybody's always spinning out. They're all like, I always feel like it's like a life cycle. They need all this stuff. Then at one day they either start insourcing or they don't need as much anymore. And they kind of go to sleep and you just have to call them up every once in a while and kind of remind them that you're still there um, and see how things are going and then be available and be responsive. And then more stuff comes in. But as you build that stack of customers, um, you have a lot more longevity and you can survive the mergers, the failures, uh, though mostly our customers don't tend some of our e-commerce customers have just given up the ship, like the the product they were doing or the the margins or whatever. But for the B two B customers, they tend to, you know, just be pretty durable. Um, you know, they're selling, you know, and I think that providing that the economy continues to lumber along the way it is, I mean, they continue to have needs. And you know, someone that runs a big industrial coatings company does not want uh, have to hire a creative director and a software developer and a web developer they want to they want to hire engineers and they don't want to have a marketing department and i think that's really what our best our our number one offering is is the the majority of our clients actually have a very smart marketer working there who has no real resources and that's kind of the you know that's kind of the the thing that we look for with customers is like they have all these needs and they're like, I got to get stuff done. And how can I possibly do this all? And we say, well, let us help you make, let us help you look good. Let us help you. If you don't have goals, let us help you build goals so you can go to management so you can get budgets. And that's that blueprint thing that we talked about. You know, we price it at a price that the marketing manager generally can uh, get it approved. And so, you know, I think one of the big pieces of life advice I got was from a friend of mine. He's very successful. He's had a couple of startups. He worked for Steve Jobs. He works. He sold Homeland Security software for Oracle and um, Microsoft. He's just an amazing guy with an amazing career. And he was like, we would price things at the price that the person who we're talking to could approve, right? Like, like if their budget said they could approve up to this number of hundreds of millions of dollars for a piece of software – that's what the first engagement and that's really stuck with me. And it's like, so we developed this sort of fixed price branding project where we, it's strategic project where they get a real outcome. They get nice documentation. It looks pretty. And as it gets more mature, it's getting better binding and, you know, better PowerPoints and all the things that go in it. And we're sort of productizing the initial strategy session sessions. Um, we align the stakeholders, we document it all. And now this marketing manager is like, listen, you agreed to all these things. Here's all the budgets. The budgets are all based on fact. They're not like, how much is a website? And you're like, I don't know how much, how, what do you want in it? You know what I mean? Like that, you, you get that question. So we're able to really align the, 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 the customer with like actual viable plan that has like outcomes in it, right? Maybe it's an Excel model that models what the ROI on the campaigns will be or something like that. And then the marketing manager, it, we price it at a price that the marketing manager generally can just, you know, they don't have to go. It's not a capital improvement. It doesn't need a champion inside the organization and to be put onto next year's budget. It's like small enough that it's, that they can put it on their discretionary, like you know, they put it on their credit card. Right. And then we're able to have a first engagement. And it also helps that if we don't get along, this hasn't been the case, but some people we've done some e-commerce assessments and we've determined that the product that they're trying to sell will not sell, will not be profitable in, in the industry. Right. Like we worked with an agricultural product and we were just like, this is not a, this is probably not going to work. And instead of us getting them to build a big e-commerce store that failed, 
we identified that the thing is not going to work. Um, it builds a lot of trust too, because you're like, we're going to find out if this is going to work and we're going to all decide if this is a good idea. And if it is, then we're going to move forward. Kind so. of an opportunity to, to date a bit. So real quick, I've got a couple of lightning round questions. Uh, would love to grab those before we lose you. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. All go right. ahead. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? So I think it's, I mean, I'm pretty, uh, hyperactive. I've always been <laughs> untreated, hyperactive person. And, um, I talk to absolutely everybody that I meet in the airport at, at conferences. I talk, I try and listen as much as possible. I tell people about what we're up to. And I think that's why I'm a, sort of a natural networker. Um, you know, I think just being outgoing, I know some of your other podcast people have talked about like getting out and going and doing things every day. Like I go out and eat lunch every day and I, I talk to people, I meet people at, at events. And I think that's really why I've been successful at sort of building this, this, uh, this business is that I'm able to identify, I mean, I'm, I'm able to get leads and identify people's pain points and say, you know, I can solve that for you. And people are like, Oh really? Thanks. Like, you know, and, um, so I think that's one that's probably the the number one uh, habit um, that that I that I have. So it's great. Can you share an internet resource or a tool, something that you think our listeners might use or could use? So we love Slack. We've really adopted that. But I think the one that I love more that, that I like more than Slack is um, PipeDrive CRM. It's a really inexpensive CRM. It's it makes me want to do sales. It's easy to add things to. Like I even use this thing where like when I'm talking to someone in an event and I'm like, "Oh, let me add you to my CRM. Have you ever seen PipeDrive?" and I'm like, "What's this data? What's this data? What's this data? What's this data?" And like they're like, "Oh, that's cool." And it's on my phone. I'm like, "There you go. I'll give you a call in a couple of days." And the, and and so it's like not only am I showing people that, you know, a piece of technology that might be useful. So they enjoy that. But I'm also actually like capturing all those additional pieces of information that you may not get on a business card or, uh, um, it, you know, off someone's name badge at an event. So I like pipe drive a lot. And, it's, and I think anyone who's not using some sort of system to track their leads and um, remind them to follow up with people is, is really missing a boat. I mean, it's probably the best 12, I think it's $9 or $12 a month or something. Sure. Sure. What's the, uh, do you have a book recommendation? So I'm not a big reader. I really, I should be a big a reader. Um, <laughs> you, I, you don't have to I, apologize. I know. Well, I mean, it's like uh, your, your guests always have such great books. They read I, last book I read that I really liked was power of habit. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a good book. That's yeah. It's like, it actually, um, helped me change some personal habits that I wanted to. It, um, the thing is, there's just the marketing information about it and how, how you build brands is, is really good. So that one's really good. And then, of course, I'm a I'm just a big podcast listener. Um, I really am liking your podcast, obviously, is, is great. But the How I Built This Podcast on NPR, you know, listening to the guy who started Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and turned it into multi-billions of dollars to talk about how he had to sell pencils door-to-door -to, -door to make a living when he was a kid. It's just like, it, it makes you, it puts your problems in perspective when you're like, you know, this dude is he I mean he's he's just he's an amazing entrepreneur and you know it's five hour energy kate spade all these great stories and they really dig into the like the backstory and how they actually did it like the day-to-day -day struggle so i'm really a big fan of that one and um uh, i listen to it whenever something comes out so cool how can folks learn more about you and your agency i have a personal website which is graymerica.com it's like gray my last name and america like america but without the a between it it's a homage to kramer's kramerica company 
Simpsons, whereas the oil balloon. Um, but uh, so if you if you want to read my bio and get my LinkedIn, you can go there. And then taylogray.com is our um, our website. You can get all of our links to all of our social off that. That's probably the best way to get connected with us. Cool. Well, uh, congrats on all the success you've had with your agency. Of course, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today at the Digital Agency Show and telling us all about your story and your agency and some of your ups and downs. Hopefully, some folks will reach out to you if they want to learn more about Taylor Gray or what you're doing on the side or these products or what you're, uh, how maybe they can connect with you about your agency. That'd be that'd be great. Yeah, happy. I mean, I'll talk to just I'll talk to anybody you, on the phone. That was your your advice. You'll talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Andrew so, will talk to anybody. So any, anybody, if you, if you're anybody. like, oh, you should uh, you should Say, talk. I love salesmen too. Just call me. Whatever you're selling, call me. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is really enjoyable, and I, I um I really enjoy your podcast. I appreciate you uh, catching up with me. All right, man. Great to have you here, Andrew. Talk soon. Bye.